Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Shore Baptist Church's podcast. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm so thrilled that you have decided to tune in this week. I certainly hope that today's message will be both encouraging to you, but also I pray that it will be convicting. You can find out more about our church by visiting www.myesbc.net. God bless you and look forward to seeing you soon at church. Thank you, Marsha. Many of you know Tony is out of town this week. He's in Los Angeles, California, visiting his son, Ben. So I appreciate Marcia and the choir filling in for Tony. I heard a story recently of a new pastor, and he was visiting the homes of several of his congregation. He came to one house, and he knocked on the door, and there was no answer. Bryant and I have been there before. You knock on the door, all the lights are on. You can hear some shuffling about, and no one comes to the door. The same experience happened to this pastor. So he took out one of his cards, and he wrote a simple Bible verse on it, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, and he kind of slid it in the door. The next Sunday after the offering was passed, he found someone had, had put his note card back into the plate, and it was passed to him later on in the week, and he had a chance to look at it. And on his note card that he had written, Revelation 3.20, there was a cryptic message that had been written in response. And it was the verse Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. The pastor didn't know that verse by heart, so he grabbed his Bible. If you're not familiar, Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 10 reads, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, for I was naked. <laughs> That's a pretty good response. That's quite a revelation. You know, we're, we're exiting the season of revelation, aren't we? Your kids get really excited about this time of year. I know my kids get really excited about this time of year because of what is revealed to them on Christmas morning. Maybe your family's like mine. Your kids woke up really early in the morning and they ran down to the tree and they came to the presence because they knew that something was going to be revealed to them that morning, either Santa's visit or, or maybe they were going to unwrap a present. That's why we wrap presents, by the way. We want to reveal the gift in our own time, in our own way, creatively sharing that gift with our family and with our friends. Christmas morning is a powerful time of revelation. I was excited to give my wife gifts. I was excited to reveal to her what I had bought. And chances are you felt the same way. If you remember, we've been on a five-week journey through John chapter 1 during the Christmas season. Four weeks ago, if you remember, we started out our series and we began to look at all the various gifts that God has given to us through the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, the first gift that he gave us was animation. He gave us life. The simple fact that you breathe air that your neurons are firing, that, that you have consciousness, that you exist, is a gift, a powerful gift of life. 
The second week, if you remember, that was our big Christmas performance was all about light coming into the world. God has given us the gift of illumination. We now see through the darkness because Christ is here. We also have our own sin revealed to us because of the power of Jesus shining through us. And then if you remember, the third week was about another gift, the gift of love, the gift of affection. Jesus came into this world not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came into the world so that you would know what the definition of love is. There is no greater act of love, by the way, than when a man sacrifices his life for the life of his brothers. And Jesus certainly did that. So he has given us life, he's given us light, he's given us love, but then he's also given us freedom, he's given us liberation. Remember the video from last week, the man trying to slide the ladder in reach of the guy that's hanging off the roof? He was trying to provide salvation for that person. And Jesus has come so that we could be free, so that we could understand what salvation is, where it comes from, and how it can fit into our lives. And then the last week, which is today, Jesus has come to give us revelation. Jesus has come to give us revelation. Friends, we know God because we know Jesus. We've seen God because we've seen Jesus. If you'll do me a favor, open up your Bibles to John chapter 1. And go all the way down to verse 18. And we're going to be picking up with a thought from John. And let's listen to what he has to say. One verse, one verse today. John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now, the he there, of course, is Jesus. Jesus has made God known to us. Another very spiritual word is revealed. Jesus has revealed God to us. So this morning, let's look at what John is trying to tell us about God. According to God, or excuse me, according to John, God is, Roman number one, evasive. God is evasive. That's what it says. No one, no one has ever seen God. What a curious text. No one has ever seen God. Do me a favor. Open up your Bibles. Flip back into the Old Testament to Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 through 23. If you remember... If you remember the story of Moses, Moses has been commanded to leave Mount Sinai, and he has been told by God to lead the Israelite nation to the promised land of Canaan. Moses, while he was a great leader, was a terrific worrywart. Moses worried all the time. He was perhaps one of the most famous doubters in the Old Testament. He was constantly doubting his ability and whether or not God was actually going to show up and do anything, whether or not God could actually use him. And so he has this interesting conversation with God. I want to read it with you. Again, Exodus 33, verses 12 through 23, and you can follow along with screens if you'd like. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up these people, but you've not let me know 
whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I've found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, God, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and I, and, and I your people? Is it, not, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct and I your people from every other people on the face of the earth? In verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight and I, knew, and I do know you by your name. Moses said, please, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and show mercy on whom I show mercy. But, he said, you, what, cannot see my face. You cannot see my face. For a man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me which you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So what happens here? Moses wants to see God's face. He wants God to reveal himself to Moses. He wants to know the ways of the Most High. Have you ever wanted that, by the way? Have you ever just wanted to see God? There have been times in my life where I've wished, oh Lord, if you would just pull back the veil from this physical experience so that we can see these spiritual elements that lay hidden from our sights. If we could only see you, God, what assurance would that provide for the believer? If we could just see God. That's essentially what Moses was looking for. He was looking for some type of a, an assurance. So why is God so elusive? Why can't we see him? God grants Moses' request, kind of. He said, Moses, I'm going to place you in the cleft of this rock. And what I will do is I will start from behind and you'll only be able to see out. And as I walk by, I will place my hand over the cleft of the rock. Therefore, you won't see me fully walk by. But as I move beyond the cleft, I'll remove my hand. And Moses, that's when you can pop out and you can see me from behind. So he sort of saw God, but not in the way maybe that he was really asking so why can't we see him? Why can't we see God's face? Why is God seemingly so elusive from us? What God, or excuse me, what John is trying to communicate here in the first chapter of his gospel is this. We can't see God necessarily for who he is. Why did Moses only get to see his back and not his face? Well, here's the answer. This is the answer. No one can see God's face and continue to be revived and strengthened by natural means. No one can see his face and continue to live a normal, natural life. 
No one can look directly at the creator of Genesis chapter 1 and simply call it a nice experience. Looking into the face of God would change us in such dramatic ways that our previous life would be utterly and completely destroyed. You might be thinking, well, isn't that the point? Shouldn't our old way of life, isn't that the thing that we need to disregard and move beyond anyway? And the answer is, of course, yes. However, in this context, Moses asked to see God's glory. And in essence, he said, okay, you can see my back, but not my face. Because if that happens, you'll be so radically changed on every level that no one will relate to you. And I need you to lead these people of Israel. I need the people of Israel to be able to relate to you, Moses. Don't you remember that after Moses spends time with God, that he comes down off of the mountain and Moses' face shone with that Shekinah glory and it caused great fear among the people of Israel. So much fear because they had to actually shroud Moses' face. You remember the time when Peter, James, and John They were up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, and they come down off of the mountain. And you remember their faces were so bright. They shone so glorious. They had to put a wrapping around their face because it caused such great fear among the disciples. Today, we have access to that glory. And even more so, Paul writes about this very thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. Let me read it for you. Since we have such a, a great hope, we are bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that, that the same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But no one turns to the Lord. The veil is removed. Now that the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So what Paul here is saying is, listen, because Jesus has come, we've seen the Lord face to face. We no longer have to wear a veil. Our lives now can interact with the Most High, and our lives now can interact with one another because Jesus has come to bridge that gap. We don't need any longer to stand in fear of the Lord or off in a direction of the Lord. We can't be near him. No, Jesus come so that we can now be close to the Lord. No more veils. We can stand right there personally connected to Jesus. In John's day and before John, people felt that God was removed and distant, unable to be perceived, and no longer God would reveal himself in a powerful way, showing his face through Jesus himself. Listen to what Job said. This is what Job says many years ago in Job 9 verse 11, were he to pass by me, I wouldn't see him. Were he to move past me, I wouldn't even perceive him. According to John, God can be evasive, but no longer because of Jesus. But look what he says here in in, in this Roman numeral two. He's evasive, but he's also very exclusive. He's exclusive. Continue on in, in John chapter one, verse 18. And John says, the only God. No one has ever seen God. And then he puts a comma and he says, the only God. The only God. 
I've had the chance in my life to, to do some traveling. Chances are some of you have as well. I've traveled all over uh, America. I've been to most of the states. I've even had the opportunity to travel some in Europe. I've been to China and Asia. I've also been to the Dominican Republic. I've been to Haiti. I've been and seen a few places. Now, chances are some of you are more traveled than me. But one of the great things I love about traveling is that you encounter new people that have new experiences. They don't always think and act the way that I think and act because their experiences are different. I've encountered people up in Vermont in particular. Boy, they've got some kind of uh, off-Bible views. Would you say that? Off-Bible. They're kind of off the text. I've met people in Vermont that are Wicca. Have you ever heard of Wicca? It's a religion that's essentially satanic in origin, but they believe in gods and goddesses. I've met people that are Hindus, and, and do you know that the Hindus literally believe in hundreds of thousands, perhaps even millions of gods and goddesses? I've met people that don't believe in God at all, but are maybe searching for some sort of existential, metaphorical truth. Maybe they're not atheists. Maybe they're more agnostic. But but I've just encountered a lot of different people, and and every person that I've encountered, I've noticed this one central truth. They're always looking for what is true. Now, some people believe they found it in other gods. Some people found it in other religions. And what I've, what I've come to understand is that all of these people are very sincere in their beliefs. They're very sincere in their beliefs. They truly believe what they believe. But then as I begin to read the Bible, you know, there's not some pantheon of gods. Uh, there, there's not all these goddesses in the Bible There's only one God in the Bible, the only God. There is an exclusivity through the Bible that is not seen in other religions. There's only one way. As a Christian, my heart goes out to folks that are searching for the truth and that believe they've found it outside of God's word. And my heart goes out to them because I know that they'll never find what they're seeking as long as they stay on the road that they're currently on. Only the one true God can satisfy the deepest longings of the human heart, and only he can give us answers to our deepest questions about life and death. The Bible says this in Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 20, do men make their own gods? Yes, they do, but they're not gods. Little g. So this morning, why do I believe in one supreme God instead of a lot of different gods? Well, one reason is because I think it's logical. Where did the world come from, after all? No idol could make us, nor could a thousand different gods and goddesses with limited power. By the way, have you ever noticed that about gods and goddesses? They always have limited power. Only God could make us. The one who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving, as the Bible says, the heavens declare the glory of God in Psalm 19, verse 1. But I also believe in one supreme God because he has revealed himself to us. He has not left us to guess what he is like. He has shown himself to us 
He did this supremely by coming down to earth in the person of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And I invite you to give your life to Christ for in him alone. Listen to this in Colossians chapter 2 verse 3. Are all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you are seeking truth this morning, you'll only find truth in Christ. You'll only find truth in Jesus not that there is only one God, but we know the name of God. We know the name of God because of what Scripture tells us. God's name is Jesus. And we can cry out to Jesus. We can call out to Jesus. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it tells us that we can cry out to Christ and be saved. According to John, listen to what Roman numeral 3 says. God is evasive. No longer. Oh no, God's not distant. God's now right here with us in the person of Jesus. He is exclusive. Now that is true. And Jesus is not going to get off his throne for some little g God or for some idol or for some other God or goddess. There's only one way to heaven and that's through the door of Christ. But look at this, Roman numeral three. According to John, God is established. In John chapter one, verse 18 It says this, who is at the Father's side? So we start out with no one can see God, and then we have the only God, and then we point to the Father's side. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus is at the Father's side. We have someone at the right hand of God, and that someone is Jesus. The theological term, by the way, for Jesus being at the right hand of the Father is a Latin word called dextera domini. Even today, most people are right-handed. Raise your hand if you're right-handed. Wow, look around. Most of you are right-handed. Not my son, Jack. Oh, Jack is left-handed. You know what they say about left-handed people, don't you? They say that they're more creative than right-handed people. Did you know that? I don't know if that's necessarily true, but it it lands square on my son, Jack. He's way more creative than I am. So if you're, how many left-handers do we have in here? Oh, a few. That makes sense, Jonathan. I got you. Makes sense about you. Yeah. Even today, most people are right-handed. I will tell you a funny story. Uh, I love baseball. My, My boys and I, we play baseball all the time. And we were in the cage about a year or so ago. <laughs> there was a young man. I was throwing baseballs to him. And he had a bat. And he was a lefty. And he was swinging with his bat. And he couldn't hit anything. Maybe, maybe I wasn't pitching very well. I'm not real sure. But I was throwing to him. And he couldn't hit anything. I, he, he couldn't hit a beach ball with a tennis racket if I threw it, threw it at him. And so finally I said, well, boy, what, what kind of bat you got right there? He said, I don't know. You know, it's a... Just a bat. I said, man, that's a right-handed bat. You need to go get yourself a left-handed bat. And he said, oh, that must be my problem. He went and looked for a left-handed bat. I thought that was pretty funny. No, no such thing as a left-handed bat. Lefties. Most people today are right-handed. It's seen as the, the dominant hand, and that's why Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, because he's at a place of dominance. It reckons his power, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, and his omniscience. 
having Jesus at the right hand also places him in the utmost position of honor and prestige. Therefore, we can say that God's right hand, it always is referring to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's in equal position, honor, power, and authority with God. The fact that Jesus is sitting means that he's done. It means that his redemptive work on the cross is finished. If he were standing, he'd still be working. But no, 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 no. That redemptive act on the cross of salvation is finished. Therefore, we always see Jesus seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father. Christ's enemies will be made his footstool. And at the end of the age comes, all the prophecy is completed. And there won't be any time any longer. Look at A, B, and C. Because Jesus is at the right hand of God, he is to be worshipped. Look at what it says in Psalm 89, verse 13. You have a strong arm. Your hand is mighty. Your right hand is what? Exalted. Because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, he is to be worshipped. Letter B, he is to be trusted. In Psalm 63, verse 8, my soul clings to you in your right hand. It upholds me. We can trust Jesus. We can believe in him. We don't have to worry because of who he is and what he's done for us. He also, it should be heeded, letter C. Even there, your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. It'll guide me out of Psalm 139, verse 10. Jesus guides us. In Romans 8, 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the where? The right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us. This is a great point, by the way. If you've ever wondered, what is Jesus doing now? If the redemptive work is over, which it is, if he's already provided salvation for us, we just have to accept it. What's he doing now? What's he doing today? Well, brothers and sisters, this is the greatest news I could give to you. Right now, Jesus is interceding for you. He's praying for you. Isn't that great to know? That we have this Savior, this, this Lord, this, this Father, this Son who's interceding on our behalf. Your problems are not forgotten about. You're, you don't need to feel unloved or unwelcome or guilty. Jesus is praying for you today. He's interceding for us today. Walk out of here today confident knowing that Jesus is praying for you. Well, let's look at Roman numeral 4. According to John God is evasive, although no more, because of Jesus. He's exclusive. That is a fact. He's established. We know where Jesus is. He's at the right hand of the Father, but he's also exposing. God is exposing. He exposes himself through Christ. Again, go back to John chapter 1, verse 18. He has made him known. That he there could be substituted with the word Jesus. Jesus has made him known. Blaise Pascal, the French mathematician and philosopher, wrote, there's a God-shaped hole or a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man that cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through who? Jesus. Jesus has made the creator known to us. A few years ago, my wife and I, traveled to China 
the very first place we visited, we were jet lagged like you wouldn't believe, but the very first place that we visited was the Forbidden City. You can see the picture there. That's the, the entrance, the front gate to the Forbidden City. Now, if you're looking across from where we were, adjacent to the Forbidden City is Tiananmen Square. Many of you know about Tiananmen Square. Well, the Forbidden City is a fascinating place. It housed the emperors of old, the emperors of China, going back literally thousands of years. And the Forbidden City, is a, it is a city, but it really is more of a series of gates. And there are several different gates, and within these gates, you've got all types of uh, of offices, you've got all types of old living quarters, uh, servants' quarters, slaves' quarters. Uh, you've got all the quarters of the wives. You know, the emperors had wives and wives and wives. And, and so these gates, so there'd be a series of them. And finally, you'd have to, according to the importance you had as someone living in China, if you were really important, you could finally get through all the gates to see the emperor. But if you were like me, like you'd never ever see the emperor, ever in your whole lifetime. You would never see the emperor. The emperor was far removed from the people. But even though the emperor was far removed from the people, he had a, an incredible influence over the lives of the people of China. The people of China were just seen as expendable to, to the emperor. They were just a workforce. If, if a person died working for the emperor, no big deal. They just bring in someone else to take his or her place. People were totally expendable to the emperor. And as Angela and I, as we toured the Forbidden City, I began to think, boy, I really am glad that God is not like an emperor of China. That, that God is not separated or removed by a series of walls and gates that we would never be able to see God. Now, the emperor thought he was a God. All of them did. But yet, our God came down from heaven that forbidden city that no one could go to, came down not to live behind gates and walls and royalty, but came down to live right here with us. God, if you remember as we were talking about Jesus, the angel comes and tells Mary that his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us, that this child being born this Christmas was going to be God with flesh wrapped around him, that he would put a face to what is unseeable. You might be thinking how great it would be if Jesus showed up today, and I agree, I think that would be awesome. <laughs> That'd be really cool if Jesus showed up today. I'd love to see Jesus face to face, and I'm sure that would be quite the experience. And then I started thinking about it, and I realized that I see Jesus all the time. Do you know where I see Jesus? I see Jesus in you. I see Jesus in you. I see Jesus when Brenda Taylor tutors children struggling in math. That's where I see Jesus show up. I see Jesus when Don and Beth Lee visit the sick and the suffering, the homebound, and folks in nursing homes. I see Jesus every morning when Troy Tippy drives from 
Hattiesburg, Mississippi to play guitar and lead in worship. Do y'all know that? Troy Tippy, he's the guy that stands over here. He drives from Hattiesburg, Mississippi every single Sunday to lead worship. Do you know how many hundreds of churches that he passes by? But he wants to come here because this is his church home. I see Jesus when Josh Rabin comes to the church late at night, sacrificing his own family time to open up the gym for kids who have nowhere to go and lets them play basketball. I see Jesus when Nita Trammell shows up to really early to cook. I see Jesus when Pat and Diane clean. I see Jesus when Ed Councilman works tirelessly, literally working me under the table. I saw Jesus a couple weeks ago when I saw Bryant put his arm around the drunk that was hanging out in our parking lot just looking for somewhere that would be warm. I see Jesus and Drew and Allison Baxter when they pick up kids that don't belong to them and bring them to church every single week. I see Jesus when Marcia teaches God's word through song to our young people. I see Jesus when Roxanne McCrory changes diapers in the nursery. I see Jesus and Johnny Baker every Wednesday night as I round the bend, and there he is holding little James's hand. Isn't that awesome? Friends, don't y'all see Jesus? Don't you see Jesus everywhere? Jesus is everywhere. Now, it's funny because Jesus is wearing a face. He just may not be wearing the face you think he's wearing. But Jesus is everywhere. I see Jesus everywhere shining through all of you. And I pray, oh, how I pray that you see Jesus shining in me. You see, Jesus didn't just reveal God during his earthly lifetime. Hardly. He's still revealing God through each and every one of us, through our service, through our love, through our care, through our encouragement. When I look at you, I see Jesus. When I see Jesus, I see God. John chapter 14, verse 9 says, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How then can you say, show us the Father? Oh, friends, I pray this morning that you will make revealing Christ in your life a priority in 2019. Would you bow your heads as we pray?